0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Please be comfortable. Good morning. Happy New Year. It, well, I know, it's, it's, it's liturgically speaking, it's, our, it's the start of our new year. The first Sunday of Advent. You thought I just got sick of the green vestments? There's a reason for all of this. First Sunday of Advent, um, where we hear about uh, the second coming which is a reminder to us that that Advent really isn't so much about preparing for the birth of Christ, it's it's preparing for the second coming of Christ. And someone asked me this week, um, how much turkey are you going to eat? No, they didn't ask me that. They asked me, why why do we need a second coming of Christ? Isn't that a little scary, this idea that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead? (coughs) Maybe you've asked yourself that question. I think it's an important question. I, and I think the answer to it lies in the context in which Jesus was speaking. You know, it's, it's one thing for us, because we live, by, by historical standards, pretty comfortable lives. We live, by, uh, by worldly standards even today, pretty secure and, and safe lives. And so, the, the urgency with which we long to be relieved or released from our terrible lives, our terrible life situations, may not be so apparent. But, but to the people that Jesus was talking to, we need to remember that they had been publicly humiliated for centuries. That The promises that God had made to them had not been fulfilled. They were living under the latest foreign oppression of, of the Romans. Some of their very own had, had kind of gone against them, betrayed them, and collaborated with the occupying force. In, in that context, they needed relief. They needed to be freed. They needed to be liberated from the what seemed like intractable, unending injustices. They lived in constant threat. They had no power, no say. They longed for God to come and set things right, to make things right once and for all, and for all eternity. So yeah, we too, when we think about it that way, I hope we can begin to say, yes, oh come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom Captive Israel. Ransom us. Now sometimes I think when we are in life situations, sometimes physical, sometimes financial, sometimes relational, that are so awful and we feel so stuck and powerless to change it, well then we do cry out, come Lord Jesus. So what does Jesus say about this timing of when The Son of Man is coming. Because his disciples wanted to know. Like all those before them, they wanted to know. How are we going to know when this has happened? Give us us some clue to what to look for and tell us when. And what does Jesus say? No one knows the day nor the hour. The angels don't know. I don't know. Only God knows. Only God knows when this is happening. And so what does that say to us? How are we then to live? He says that it'll be kind of like in Noah's days, right? People were just sort of going about their lives. They were eating and drinking. It doesn't really make it sound like they were doing it excessively. They're just kind of doing what people do. They were marrying and giving in marriage, and then bam, it happened. Swept up. The coming of Jesus will be like that. So what are we then to do? How are we going to live? What implication does that have for our lives? Knowing that Jesus is coming, but we have no idea when. Can we find relief in that? Or does it just scare us? I hope that we can find relief in that. And here's... um, The first thing that we can do is we can hope And then the second thing is we can plan. And what I mean when I say we can hope, because Jesus makes it really clear throughout just that short passage. And he talks about this really throughout that whole chapter in Matthew. But what he's saying is that the Son of Man is coming. It's definitive. He's not saying in case the Son of Man comes or uh, uh, if the Son of Man comes or on the off chance that the Son of Man shows up. It's always the Son of Man is coming. Is coming. Your Lord is coming. So we can hope knowing that we're part of that story. And we can plan accordingly as well. There's a, uh, I'm reading this book. I haven't finished it yet. So don't worry. I'm not going to give away the ending because I don't know the ending. Um, but this is a book by Tanahisi Coates called The Water Dancer. Have you heard of it? It tells a story of enslaved people in Virginia. And in the deeper south. And it tells that from the perspective of, really of, of liberation and freedom. And how the Underground Railroad conducted people from what seemed like in, intractable, unjust, violent, aggressive living conditions into this life of freedom. And, and, and how that happened. The courage it took. The power of God that it took efforts of ordinary people that it took. It, um, and in this one particular section, um, a, f- a former slave is explaining about his relationship with his wife. And it's particularly poignant because I say he's a former slave. He has found his way up to Philadelphia. He's living as a free person. But his wife is still in what they call the coffin. In Alabama. You remember that story? I, I had not heard that story. I didn't know that part of our history. That when the tobacco crops started dying out in Virginia, that was about the same time that Eli, uh, Eli Whitney. Remember him? Came up with a cotton gin. So suddenly the plantations in the deep south needed they needed capital. They needed human capital to work the fields. And and because those people in Virginia wanted to maintain the lifestyle to which they had become accustomed, they did what many people do when income goes down. You start to sell your assets. The problem was that their assets were, were people. And so husbands and wives, mothers and children were separated, sold down the river where the average life expectancy was about seven years. Because if you work someone or something that hard, that long, it doesn't last. So he told this story um, about his wife. And and what he says is that um, they, they were not married yet, but she had saved him. His soul was in a really terrible, dark place. And her love... Her ability to live in the midst of enslavement really saved him. And if three days before they were to be married, he came to visit her, and um, she had been whipped and beaten. And she said that it was the boss's headman took a liking to her, and she didn't submit. And so instead, he beat her. And, he, and, and Otha stands to get up and leave, and she says, where are you going? And he says, I'm going to go kill him. And she said, don't you dare. He says, I got to. I got to protect you. It's about my manhood. I got to make this right. And she says this, damn your manhood in every interview if you touch one hair on that white man's head. He says, but you are mine, Lydia, and it's my duty to make you protected. She says, and you're going to protect me from under the ox, too? I picked you for a reason. You done told me your story, and I know that you have some notion of a place beyond this. Otha, it's got to be about more than this. It's got to be about more than anger, more than manhood. We got plans, me and you, and this is not our end. This is not how you and I die. It's got to be about more than anger, more than manhood. It's got to be about more than this. This is not our end. This is not how you and I die. What she was able to do was to see her place in in a bigger story. She was able to take her place in this bigger story, this arc of God's redemption. She knew that the Lord was coming She knew that there was a place beyond this, beyond that circumstance. As as awful and intractable as it seemed, she knew that there was a place beyond that. There was more to it. That was not how she was going to die. (coughs) Can we take our place in that story? Now, our our situation isn't obviously not this terrible, But can we take our place? Can we trust that the Lord is coming to make things right? To restore this world to the way that God intended it? Can we hope like that? Hope in the coming of our Lord to set things right? To know that there is more than this, whatever this is in this moment, more than anger, more than pride. There's more beyond this. This is not our end. This is not how you and I are going to die. Because if we can hope that, then we can plan. We can plan to go about our lives just as normal and ordinary as they may be. We don't need to do miraculous things, magnificent things. We don't need to crave all the attention that social media offers. We don't need to regret all the attention we lack compared to all those other people that seem to have so much. We don't need to fight so desperately to acquire this or that. Because our Lord is coming, and there's more than this, more beyond this. If we take our place in the arc of that story, then we just go about our lives. Not overlooking injustice, but meeting it with the power of Christ's love. We go about our lives. We're faithful husbands. We're faithful wives. We're devoted children. We're honest employees. Regular churchgoers. This Advent, as we begin again, Remember the story. There is more than just this. Hope for it. Live for it. We don't know the day or the hour, but we can be like those people in Noah's days, going about our life faithfully, virtuously, humbly. We can be like the parable that Jesus tells right after this, about the servant's who keep doing what the Master told them to do, even though the Master's been away for a while, even though they may be tempted to kind of say, you know what, the rest of y'all are on your own. I got the key to the storehouse. Me and my two closest friends are about to throw a great party for three of us. No. We keep doing as we've been told. Because our Lord is coming. Don't be afraid. Come, oh come, Emmanuel, and ransom us from this And lead us to all that you have planned. Amen.